It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. Howard Lutnick, it is a pleasure having you on today. How are you? I'm doing, I'm doing okay. It's great. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, I've seen you on TV a couple of times this week, and I wanted to talk to you, Chairman and CEO of Canner Fitzgerald, and you have had your hand in so many different piles. I, this conversation is going to go in a lot of different directions, Howard. So, uh, you know, you're, you're a guy that's got your ear to the street, and I, I know you're okay with that. So, welcome. I want to start with a movement. Yeah, it sounds like this movement is interesting. You're backing it. Um, Just so our audience knows, it has to do with the quickly emerging sector of conservative media trying to take on big tech. And just generally speaking here, it's a movement. Howard, I don't know where it goes. I don't know if it succeeds. But what does this challenge look like? Let's begin there. So my my SPAC... Uh, it's called CFVI, uh, uh, is merging with Rumble, and it's the way Rumble is going to go public. So Rumble is a neutral video platform, uh, much like YouTube. And you would think, how do you compete with YouTube? I mean, mm-hmm. YouTube's got 2 billion global subscribers, 200 million in America. How do you compete with that? And the answer is because they've decided it's okay. They've chosen a side. They've moved, you know, significantly to the left at taking their ideology. And let's face it, you know, Google is worth two trillion dollars. So when you're worth two trillion, you can have a little ideology. There's nothing wrong with that. And what they're doing is they're deplatforming and deprioritizing ideology that they don't like. And that means they're censoring gamers. They're they're censoring comedians so they don't like the jokes. And so that is more than a movement. What it is, is it's an opening that should never have existed. But that opening is vast now. And it's with YouTube's total consent. You say it's a neutral network. They, they've also silenced politicians. And I, I, I know the well, way you describe it. It's, it's down the middle. How does that succeed, Howard? Well, what's happened is, so YouTube silences, uh, you know, politicians and ideology uh, they don't like comedians who tone the wrong jokes. They don't like gamers who, you know, curse and say maybe the wrong quote unquote thing that your mother would think is the wrong thing to say while they're gamers and they're and they're deplatforming them and deprioritizing them. So what Rumble does um, is Rumble just says, look, you know, we won't have hate speech, no terrorism, no hate speech. But if you've got an opinion, this is America. It's a free speech opinion. Let's take them on. And and you know, people question, is it going to succeed or not? Rumble has 36 million active users. In one year, they went from 1.6 million active users to 36 million active users. And the best month was August, 44 million active users. So this, the definition of success is passed. Well, that's, Rumble uh, is going to succeed. That's amazing growth. I mean, if that were a stock, I mean, you want to be all in on that for, for a lifetime. But just so our audience knows, Rumble is an alternative to YouTube. Is that the easiest way to say it? Easiest way to say it. You go on rumble.com and you'll see 
you know, comedians, gamers, you know, cats playing with dogs. <laughs> all, 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 this, all that stuff, stuff where you can just waste time for hours every, uh, every day. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, how it took years for Google and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter to really take off. Or one could argue the opposite, that it happened really quickly relative to other industries. But is your growth curve longer or do you make the argument that it's faster because of what has gone before it and what consumers are already comfortable using exactly so consumers are already totally comfortable using youtube but what happens is that the creators the people who have the content the russell brands of the world you know these comedians the gamers they're going to come and they don't want to be censored so they go to rumble so they can speak freely and not be censored and there are millions of followers who want that content go with them and so i think the rumble landscape is more than a hundred million users simply because YouTube doesn't want them. And let's face it, if Google is worth two trillion dollars, you know, you and I didn't discuss whether it's worth two trillion, forty billion. We don't care <laughs> right, about the rounding right. error. Yeah. And these hundred million users are a rounding error for YouTube. And imagine this: Rumble right now, this alternative to YouTube, has fifteen percent of the American user, thirty million Americans. So this is not like, is it going to happen? You know, is it only like a narrow section of conservative views? This is the free speech internet coming back. And I think people on the right like it. I think people on the left like it. I think gamers like it. Comedians like it. You're going to see people start posting their cats playing with dogs. <laughs> they just want free speech. They just uh, all want, we all want free speech, Bill. You and I, we just I, want I get the America it. that we grew up I with. I get it. And, and, and all you want is 10% of a trillion. That would be a huge success. <laughs> um, That's all. It's but, a you know, just a couple of things on, on the political aspect of this, uh, of all of this, and not just Rumble, but across the board. Um, Axios had a piece out this week about conservatives building their own apps and their own phones and their own publishing houses and their own cryptocurrencies. I'm left to wonder, why is this? And if successful, does that put down a clear marker between parties and political preferences in America yet again? How how would you how would you address that, Howard? Well, I think the the world has created an odd uh, new type of company. You know, a company that says that we don't stand uh, on ideology. I mean, when does Coca-Cola choose an ideology and all of a sudden they're like backing, you know, let's not have the uh, all-star game in Atlanta. You know, corporations are bending the knee, if you will, toward an ideology instead of just doing what they're supposed to do, which is sell their product. And when you bend the knee to an ideology, you disenfranchise whole groups of people who just thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy your product because it's a good product, not because you have an ideology. And so I think what's happened is there's a new world of this opening, which says, you know, go after your business, but go after your business without ideology. Just go back to the basics of America. And I think that's what's opening this door up. It's really big, giant, wonderfully successful corporations saying, I'm gonna choose a side. And, and that leaves open the whole other side who feels disenfranchised. Why, why is my company who I buy my diapers from choosing a side? I want to, I want to go buy my coffee from someone who's not choosing a side. I, I think the thing about and that's the, interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. The thing about the Coca-Cola statement about the Georgia election laws is that in the statement itself, 
it did not list any specifics about the Georgia law. It was pretty much boilerplate language, and I think I, I think a lot of people stopped and thought, "Why are you doing that?" So I, I, your point is taken on that. But Twitter suspends the New York Post from access to its social media site over a Hunter Biden story a month before the election. And Howard, how how does that decision look now? Because Twitter was wrong. It was a legitimate story. People are writing books about it now. Well, you think about it. This is, again, when you're so wildly successful. You know, like we said, like Google with uh, two trillion. You know, they've decided they've got enough money. They're going to choose a side. So with Twitter, if you go back to the beginning of Twitter, Twitter said we're going to flatten the earth. Everybody can express themselves to everybody. They're going to create sort of the free speech megaphone. And then they got so unhappy that Donald Trump happened to be the greatest player of that megaphone. I mean, he was just great at Twitter. It didn't matter if you liked or didn't like what he said. He was just great at playing that megaphone. And Twitter was so unhappy because they're so rich. They were so unhappy that someone who they don't like played their megaphone that they decided I'm going to take my toys and go home. And so what they decided is I don't want anyone to win using my megaphone ever again. So they abandoned the beginning of why they started and they end up with, look, I'm a rich guy. I'm going to have my own ideology. Mm-hmm. And that opens the world, you know, so for Donald Trump to do his, his truth social and for other people to really go into that place where these rich people have said, ah, you know, I'm so rich. I don't care. And, and that's what's happened. So Twitter doesn't want you to use their product to elect someone they don't like. And, and that means they're not a media company. They're just someone's opinion. Mm. Well, you back President Trump. And um, when he was bumped from Facebook, I think it was June of this past year, um, I did a fair amount of reporting around that event. And here's what I did not know or realize, Howard. If you want to win or even run a national election, you have to be on Facebook. Because that's the place where you organize, and that is the place where you raise money, period. And Facebook will no longer have him. Well, they look that they, you know, it's it's equivalent. Facebook is intellectually just like Twitter uh, and YouTube. These are like newspapers owned by, you know, someone who thinks uh, against your party, someone who's on the left, and and they're just going to play that hand. That, that way. And, and they've become like newspapers. So they're not, uh, they're not open. They're an ideology. And, and it's eventually going to happen that people are going to rail against that ideology, try to find an open platform to talk. And that won't just be conservatives. It will be everybody because otherwise you're just in an echo chamber. You talk to yourself. The right debate is to talk to the other side and convince them, not to just talk to yourself. And that's why I think this new road down the middle uh, is where America is. You know, they don't really want to just be one way. They don't want to be told, you know, it's the Amazon way or the Google way or the Facebook way. They want it to be the American way, which is I'm entitled to my opinion. You can disagree with it, but we should be able to both have our opinion. And I think that's like water. It's going to find its path. And I think Rumble was just the extraordinary recipient. I mean, Rumble was hit by lightning. I mean, you know, the world 
it was just doing its job, had a million users, and all of a sudden, wham, they have 36 million. And they're going to go from there. Mm. You know, They're going to go from there, and they're just going to be huge because they're going to be a place where you can talk to each other. Yeah. And that yeah. is America. It's, it's like water. A few other topics in a moment here. I'm going to t- get your take on the economy. I'm going to get your take on President Biden, inflation. I'm going to talk about you, and all of that comes next here on Hammer Time. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Back with Howard Lutnick, CEO, Cantor Fitzgerald. Great to have you on, Howard. Thank you for your time. I want to talk about you because you have been diagnosed with non-Hopkins lymphoma. I heard an interview the other day. You said, don't worry about me. I'm going to be just fine. But I want to know, how you doing? Well, I'm, I'm literally, today is the halfway point. So I get six treatments, three weeks between each treatment. And, and today is right in the middle. So I'm, I'm sort of halfway. And, uh, you know, look, it, it's scary to have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, for sure. But my doctor said, look, you're, you know, this is treatable and this is curable. And uh, we've got the medicine to do it. And, you know, you never really love doctors more than when your doctor says that to you. So, you know, my expectation is, and his expectation is I will be cancer free when I'm done with this process, you know, in the middle of February when they uh, test me. But, uh, you know, I have, uh, if you've seen me on television, I have a slick hairstyle, kind of like the Bruce Willis kind of hairstyle. (laughs) It's not a fashion, it's not a fashion choice. And if you're interested on Rumble, if you go to rumble.com and just type in Howard Letnick lymphoma, You'll see, I, I put out a video telling my 12,000 employees um, that, I had, uh, that I had blood cancer and I told them. And, and you know, you'd find it interesting just to see how a CEO who is willing to just communicate with his employees just lays it out there and tells them. And, uh, you know, it was very emotional for me, but, uh, you know, the love and support I've gotten from my employees is really just carries you through. I mean, let's face it, it carries you through. People say, I'm going to pray for you. You know, prayers matter. They mattered for me on 9-11 and they matter now. You know, these people pulling for you gets you out of bed with an extra step and uh, and it matters. Wow. Well said. I didn't realize you had a case of breakthrough COVID and you recognized a swollen gland that led you to find the cancer. Think about the irony of that, Howard. You know, in the middle of the pandemic, you're diagnosed with non-Hopkins lymphoma, and the only reason you discover it is because of COVID. I mean, <laughs> put that together. You got, you can't. You just got to shake your head and go, really? Like, like you know, I'm, I'm by myself. You know, I sort of separate from my family because I have, I get breakthrough COVID, like the Delta in, in, in August, but I have no symptoms, like zero symptoms, mm-hmm. except I have this swollen gland. <laughs> And the swollen gland won't go away. And finally, I get it tested. You know, when, when my COVID goes away and my gland doesn't go away, and that's how I find the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so, you know, people say, hey, did COVID save your life? You know, it's, it's impossible to talk that way. You just got to say, how strange is that? Yeah. It's just strange. Well, we sound in great spirits and stay that way. Uh, you, you do not suffer fools. And you, you had some strong words for some of your younger colleagues and your quote was, if you think you're working too hard, choose another line of work. Now, listen, you were a huge success at age 30. And that's going back three decades. What do you see about the younger generation that you're learning from them that you do or do not like or approve of, Howard? 
Well, it's it's the voice, right? And you think about it. So these guys uh, applied for a job at Goldman Sachs, and there's no denying if you apply for the investment banking job at Goldman Sachs, you're not going to see the light of day. That's the job. And when people ask me, you know, the young, you know, friends, like let's say if your son called me up and said, "What do you think of banking?" I'd say. Look, it's two years where you're not going to see the light of day because the client wants to announce his deal tomorrow at 9 a.m. And if he wants to announce it tomorrow at 9 a.m., what are we doing at 2 in the morning? The bankers are working their tails off to get the client's deal done at 9 a.m. And if that is not what you want, why would you apply for the job? It's like, think about it. Every doctor right, goes and they do this residency where they see the disease to the end. They see it for 48 hours because they want you to see how it progresses. Imagine if doctors said, geez, I'm working too hard. Yeah. You know, they, look, these are jobs that are hard and they pay incredibly well. And my view is really don't take the job and whine about it after. Take the job and put your head down and pound through it and be a success. I'm not into the whining. I'm just... I'm not a fan. I love that. Uh, you've had tremendous loss in your life as well. And for those who do not know, your firm was devastated during 9-11. You lost 658 employees in New York City. You've provided tens of millions of dollars to help the families of the victims who worked for you. Have you ever considered moving your company back to the site in any of the buildings constructed around the Ground Zero site? Or is, is that out of the question? So, you know, to me, that particular spot, the 9-11 Memorial is hallowed ground. And, uh, you know, when I go there and I'm on the board of the, of the Memorial and Museum, when I go there, I steal myself really going to the, to the cemetery of where my brother got killed, where my best friend got killed, and all my, and all my friends and coworkers, 658 of them. So to me, that's a special place, kind of like going to the cemetery and visiting your parents. And, you know, so do I want my office to overlook it? No, thanks. Okay. So am I around the corner? Sure. Do I like downtown? Sure. When I go to dinner around the corner? Sure. But, you know, when I go to the Memorial and Museum, it's solemn to me. It's vital to me. I thought they did a great, great job, the museum. And, uh, and it's really important to me, but I, I, I don't want to look at it every day. And, I, you know, it's too important to me for me to look at it every day casually. You are, in a lot of ways, uh, just a well-respected New Yorker for the way you handled yourself. And from me to you, thank you for doing what you did. Um, it was remarkable. A few more questions, if you got the time. Um, I take it you're not a fan of Joe Biden. How do you see him doing at the moment, Howard? I, I think, you know, what happened is Joe Biden ran and succeeded by saying he was going to be in the middle, right? He was the moderate candidate. And his candidacy was going nowhere. But when they realized he had Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren running against him, and they were so far left that he succeeded, you know, running down sort of, let's call it the middle. And the fact that after he gets elected, he pivots back to Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren has really disaffected a whole lot of people who thought he was going to be, you know, down the middle, the way he ran. And, and I think that's what's bummed out a lot of people. And he's, and he's, you know, governing more left than you would have thought. And that's just, you know, I think he's disheartened a whole lot of people who voted for him. And, uh, and that's just the way it is. I mean, he's pivoted left and that's a bummer. Mm. I, I'm just trying to pick up on a few anecdotal things over the last two weeks. I, I, I wonder if 
the message from the election results of Virginia and New Jersey. I've always wondered how they would settle in or not. Um, and I, there's a few anecdotal signs I've seen in the last two weeks that, that indicates a slight shift. I don't know if it's significant, Howard, or, or if it's just modest or whether I'm just seeing a mirage, but it's my observation. On the economy, how is the strength of the economy? What happens with inflation? How do you answer that question in a paragraph? Because really, that's your business. So the, the economy is being driven by two fundamental things. The easiest monetary policy in the history of the world, right? The government, I mean, this is not even on the menu, right? The government prints money, runs deficits, and the government buys it itself. That's like, that's called quantitative easing. And that's called, wow, that is the easiest monetary policy ever. So you've got the government just printing money, getting it out there. And then you've got these monster spending bills. You have the U.S., used to run a $1 trillion deficit, right? 2019, we ran a trillion dollar deficit. Then we started running $3 trillion. So you know what spending an extra $2 trillion a year for two years is? That's like when you watch Pulp Fiction and they, they take that adrenaline and just jam it into the guy. I mean, you know, you take a giant adrenaline pump and you just jam it into the economy with the world's easiest monetary policy. And what do you got? Stocks and highs. You got the world is just defying logic because those two things are going. And when those two things stop, that's going to be very, very sobering. And so when they end the tapering, now that tapering means they're going to stop the world's easiest monetary policy and just have easy monetary policy. And then when they finally pass whatever they pass in this Build Back Better bill, and then that's the last sort of jolt of lightning the economy is going to get. You're going to see the economy start to falter because it, it won't have the adrenaline pump from the government. Mm. Uh, look, I'm looking at the S&P today at 4,600. W- would you buy this market? You know, what we've all learned is when the government's about to spend $2 trillion, don't fight it. Yeah. I have no idea what it means to spend $2 trillion. Okay, Bill, I have right. no idea. It's so much money that it matters. So, you know, when they're about to pass a bill that's going to spend $2 trillion and they just pass a bill with $1.2 trillion, right. I, I think that's got some legs for a while. But yeah. obviously, it'll run out of legs. Right. But I don't know. You got to assume the next six months are joyous with three trillion just being spent. Yeah, I don't know. Sounds like a lot of money. It's to coming me. out of our ears, Howard. That's what I think. You, you may not understand what a trillion is, but you do understand what a billion is because you are a billionaire. When Howard Lutnick's growing up, did you say, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to have a B after my name? No, no. You know, when I was growing up. If you said to me the word private plane, I'd say someone put all the seats on Delta. <laughs> like, like, there's no such thing as a private plane. What are you talking about? You know, my, look, my, my parents were teachers. Um, I grew up classy public school, you know, and uh, no, of course, I had, I had no idea. But, uh, you, know, I, you know, I had the great pleasure of, of working by the side of Bernie Cantor, who was really one of the, the more brilliant people. And, and he came back from World War II. And he said he was going to use the technology of World War II to change Wall Street. And so it sort of became our birthright. And we built, you know, these incredible electronic trading systems. And, you know, Cantor Fitzgerald has really been at the heart of sort of change. And and so it's been, you know, it was a pleasure to work with him. And then my partners have been amazing. But, you know, the fact that we were able to rebuild the company after 9-11, take care of the families of those we lost, 658 people, 
you know, we raised $180 million as the most important thing in our lives. And all the employees gave 25% of everything they made to these families. You know, so I am the most proud of the people in my firm. I'm the most proud of the way we, we stayed together in our relationship with the families. And, uh, you know, look, I'm just a, a proud, if you would, parent of, of one of the great companies uh, Canada could show because the people in this company are special. Mm. Yeah. As we conclude our conversation, good luck with Rumble and everything that comes with it or not. Uh, we'll see which way that goes. I just, early in our conversation, you said the prayers are good for you. They help you get out of bed in the morning. But, I, you know, before your diagnosis, I, I was curious as to what helps you or what does get you out of bed in the morning. What, what has driven Lutnick all these years? You know, my, uh, my companies are like my children. Uh, and, and they have a destiny and that destiny, you know, I, I need to help them get there. And I find it so much fun. And, and, you know, I'm look, I'm a father who attends my son's, uh, you know, every sport I possibly can, you know, and I go back to the office after <laughs> and now it's great. Like they, they live stream my son's basketball game yesterday. I got to watch it, but, you know, spending time with my children and helping my companies reach their destiny, uh, drives me out of bed. It's fun. It's fun when you have a vision and you go into that vision. I've always said vision is not for sale. You need a CEO who can see around the corner and say, this is where we're going. And, uh, you know, and I, I love that role. And uh, I think I, I think it's fun. And jazz me, jazz me before. It got me, you know, after 9-11, obviously I built to take care of the families. You know, but since then it's back. I just want my companies to reach their destiny. Wow. Well, you've done a great job getting there. And you said you're at the halfway point for your treatment. So continue on, Howard, and we'll see you at the finish line of that. Howard Lutnick, CEO, Cantor Fitzgerald, thank you for your time today. Thanks. You bet. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. business moves fast stay on top of it with the fox business rundown every monday and friday listen to the fox business rundown starting may 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts